to enjoy in this summer. I won't say the winter because I know even in Wausau the winters are kind of interesting, I would say, with the winters. But, uh, hey, we get through that so we enjoy the summers. I bring greetings from the district office. I don't know if you know this, but you are part of an association of approximately 1,500 churches nationwide. Uh, The Evangelical Free Church of America is a wonderful association. And in Wisconsin, I have the privilege of being part of the Forest Lakes District, which is about 100 churches like this that are gathered on Sunday morning uh, to praise and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see a picture of my wife, Nancy. We have two children, uh, 29 and 31 uh, years old, married, and we have five grandchildren, 10, uh, 7, 5, 3, and almost 1. I'm kind of getting used to that whole thing. Being a grandpa is the greatest thing ever. It's even better than when I was a parent, we always say, right? So we really enjoy that. I want to just real quickly tell you a little bit about my life and my testimony. But before I do that, I want to thank you for what you are part of our denomination. Uh, Myself, being a missionary with the Forest Lakes District, I'm thankful for the support and prayers that this church gives us. Niall has been amazing in terms of his support of the district. Uh, we get to hang out in that room once in a while with about seven, eight, ten pastors and have a pastor's network where they sharpen each other. What does the district office do? We wait for the, the red phone to ring and people say, hey, I've got a conflict up here in Three Lakes. Will you come and help us? Some people think that that's why we exist is just for conflict. No, that's not true. Although we do get those phone calls and we do work with churches in conflict. But honestly, our reason for existing is to help you to be better than you are now, and that is to provide resources and encouragement uh, to you as a church. Well, let me this morning, I hope if this is your first time at the church that you'll come back and hear the real pastor here, and that's Niall Filial. And I'm thankful. I've known Niall a long time when he was a youth pastor down at Watoma. Got to hang out with him and Christy quite a bit. So it's been my pleasure. But uh, he called me and said, would you come pinch hit? And I said, well... I'll do the best I can. I'm not going to be you, Niall, but we'll do the best I can. So hopefully this morning you will humor me with uh, some stories and also a passage that, honestly, you heard a couple weeks ago that's going to have a different twist on it. Let's open in a word of prayer, and then I'll tell my testimony. God, thank you this morning for the reminder of the priority of worship, how important worship really is. And it isn't just the songs. It's our whole life when we worship you. So this morning, I I don't know what each of us have come in here with. Maybe we're sad. Maybe we're happy. Maybe we've had a loss. Whatever it is, Lord, would you speak to us? May you help me to get out of the way. May you use my testimony, but also the story of Paul and Silas to minister to us. We ask for a blessing on this morning. It's in your name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, my story, and I want to preface this by saying each of us has a story. It's your testimony. I used to think my testimony was boring, honestly. And so I didn't really want to tell it to a lot of people. But now I realize that the story that God has given to me is really my story to share with others to encourage them. So my story starts out age four, Sunday school teacher, uh, Mrs. Holman Muggs. She shared about Jesus with me for the first time. She shared about heaven and how uh, God wanted me to be in heaven with him and he provided a way for me to be in heaven with, with he and Jesus. And I went, hmm, I want to be there someday. But then she told me about a place called hell. And in this society, nobody wants to hear about hell. I didn't want to hear about it, but it scared me to the point where I said to Mrs. Holman, I said, four-year-old, I said, Mrs. Holman, where's hell? 
Where's, I know where heaven is. I hear it's up there somewhere. Where's hell? She said, well, it's a bad place. And she told me about it. And she said, and I asked her, I said, well, how do you not end up there? You know, a four-year-old, we just get right to it, you know? And so she said to me, well, God knew we had a problem. It's sin. It's a three-letter word. And she said, and He sent Jesus to die for your sin. My five-year-old grandson, Jackie, he has sin figured out. He says sin is when you punch your brother in the face. That's what he says. I love it. I just had the privilege of leading my two grandchildren to Jesus. And I'll get emotional. A couple weeks ago, in the back seat of the car, we were talking about heaven. And they both wanted to make sure they knew they were going to heaven. So Lily, seven, Jackie, almost five, they said, Grandpa, could we make sure that we're going to heaven? And we walked through the whole thing. And they prayed to accept Jesus. Now, it's not the prayer. It's surrendering your life to Jesus. And so I got home from Sunday school that day and I knelt beside this ugly green footstool. I remember that. I love that I can remember that. And my mom and dad helped me accept Jesus as my Savior and to surrender my life to Him. It ruined my life and I'll never be the same. And I love that. Here's the the honest truth of what's happened. If you look at the facts, at age 15, I had a very key fork-in-the-road experience. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a home that was very conservative. In fact, it was more about the rules than it was about anything else. And I found out that I couldn't do this and I couldn't do this and I just kind of got tired of Christianity and I wanted to walk away from God for just a little bit. I didn't want it like forever, but I just wanted a little time away. And so I lied to my parents and I headed off to a party. Age 15, I wanted to be like everybody else. And on my way to the party, my friend handed me a $20 bill. And he said, here you go. And I said, what's this for? And he said, you get to buy the beer for the party. And I'm like, oh, man. I looked up at God. I was mad. I said, wait a minute. I just wanted to have one night off, not have to worry about this. And then I realized there was this whole time right now that a lot was on the, on the line for me. I could hear my mom in the back of my head, Robbie, run from evil. You know, you have those moments. You're like, where did that come from, you know? So that night I made the right decision, even though I knew what was going to happen Monday at school. I gave that $20 bill back, went home. My parents were proud of me. I admitted I lied. They said, good job, and then they grounded me for a week. I had that coming too. And so you'll laugh because what ended up happening is not only did I get grounded, but I learned a huge experience in that. So I thought, well, I'll go back to school. And on Monday, everybody made fun of me because they knew... I was the religious guy. In fact, today when I see people that were in my graduating class and they hear that you're a pastor, they go, oh, wow, doesn't surprise me at all. And I guess that's a good thing. So I started a Bible study uh, in the high school at Wassa East. That's where I grew up, high school. My choir director, seven to ten kids came. It was pretty small. We didn't have FCA back then. And we had a great time on on Wednesday mornings. And I kept journeying um, after that. And I graduated high school, and I had no idea what I wanted to do for a career. Most of our college students today, they don't have a clue with what their major is going to be. Do you know what the number one major in college is? I, it's a joke. Undecided. That's usually what it is. And so what I found out for me was I needed to pick a career. Asked my grandfather. He said, you should do computers. And I went, that's a great idea. So I began a career in computer programming, went to school, got done with school, and realized I had to be in a cubicle the rest of my life. And I went, wow, that's not me. I love relationships. I want to be with people. 
So my wife suggested, and by the way, I met my wife at church. That was cool. We uh, got married. I was 19. I wouldn't recommend that. It's been great. 34 years of bliss. Um, Nancy's incredible. She's a helpmate to me. She's the introvert, and I'm the extrovert in our family. But God has really used it in many ways. So I began as a salesman. I did that for 15 years. This was part of my territory, watercraft. Uh, sales up here, Three Lakes Marine. I was a battery salesman for about 10 years. So I did batteries, radio advertising, and computers. And God just led me through this all. I didn't realize it was training ground for ministry. Didn't know that at the time. Now I do. And so what God began to do is He started to really inside of us say, I want you to be in full-time ministry. We just didn't know where. And we started figuring out. And by the way, when I say that, we're all in full-time ministry. Did you know that? Some people do it vocationally like we do, but each one of you are really in, in full-time ministry in what sphere of influence God has you. I want to encourage you that way. Sometimes we say, let's make the pastor or the worship guy, they're the ones that we want. They're going to do all this. No, it's all about all of us engaging in ministry. So I, uh, how do I say this? God got a hold of me in a way that was very interesting. 1990, uh, let's see, what do I have down here? Yeah, 1996 is when I started attending the free church. And let me tell you how we ended up there. You can go to the next slide. We met an exchange student. And I'll tell you the story real quick. Has anybody hosted an exchange student in your life at all? It can be an awesome experience. For some people, it can be a nightmare. But for us, it was interesting. I called after looking at an ad in a newspaper for approximately six times, I think I saw it. It took me longer to understand God getting a hold of me. Hey, I want you to look at this ad. So looked at it. It said host family needed. We went to the tech in Wausau where they have this exchange student program. And it was really cool. We sat down. They put this folder in front of us, and it says, congratulations, you are a host family of an exchange student. And my wife gave me the big elbow and said, what did you sign us up for? And I said, honey, all I was doing was coming for an informational meeting, but they were desperate for uh, host families. So two weeks later, we had Oscar Chiquito from Guatemala in our house. He knew very little English. We knew very little Spanish. So we used books. Basically, hola, como estas? And we began this journey together. But in the process of this whole thing, we now had 32 students from all over Central and South America and the islands. And we were ministering in our home to them. We'd have them for dinner. They would ask us about our faith somehow. I think something was going on. We saw 12 come to Christ. They had never read their Bibles, half of them. And so for them to hear about Jesus was amazing. They started reading the Bible, and they realized their need for Jesus. So 12 of them, we started a Bible study. We sent them home in two years. They had this great, what I call world missions. They were headed back to their countries. When the process, a lady from the free church in Wausau, Linda, invited us to come with the students up to Highland there at the free church. And we got there and fell in love with the place. We thought it was just where God wanted us, and so we started attending there in 96. And about a year later, Ken Moberg, some of you might know that name. Ken was the district superintendent. Uh, he was the founding pastor there. He said to me, Rob, have you ever thought about being a children's and youth pastor? We need one right now. And I looked at him and I said, I'm a salesman. What do you mean? He goes, yeah, but God's been preparing you way back here to where you are today. Why not you? So we started praying, and I went off to a conference in Minneapolis, and the speaker, he said this, and I, I remember this, called a ministry. He said, if you're not doing what God's called you to do, 
Why haven't you done it yet? And the tears came down my face, and I now knew that God wanted us to be in full-time ministry. And so we threw our name in the hat in Wassa, and they hired us in 1997. Let me back up and also share about Oscar for just a minute. So the first night he was there, the reason we knew that God wanted us to host uh, Oscar was he was reading a letter that, that he had gotten. We, we took a letter and translated from English into Spanish, and he was reading it about our faith, our family, and our values. And when he was reading it, the tears were coming down his face. And we're like, uh-oh, did we offend him? Is, is he homesick? They were tears of joy because he, his family, and his church were actually asking uh, for prayer that he would go to a Christian home in the United States. Poor guy. He ends up in northern Wisconsin. Lots of mucho nieve and mucho uh, frío, which means a lot of snow and a lot of cold. But that journey led him back to Guatemala, and guess what happened? Everything he learned in the free church, he started to go and work with their church back there so that they became community-minded and outreach. And guess what Oscar's doing today? He's a missionary to his people and to pastors all over. He's working with over 100 churches now in Guatemala. And I got to be, we got to be a little part of that journey of what God has done. So we started in 97 as the children's and youth pastor at Highland. I didn't know what I was doing. At least I didn't think I did. And I got started in the first week. My nursery coordinator quit. Thank you for those of you that serve in the nursery. It's a huge blessing. Second uh, week, I had my two volunteers in youth ministry. They quit. And it was like, man, this isn't going very well. Well, we stayed there almost seven years. And during that time, there was a guy by the name of Chris Cry that was directing a conference called Districts. Have anybody been to Districts before? Anybody? A few of you? Districts is a large event that we use really to draw young people to Jesus and to encourage them in their faith. And most of the churches in our district now are coming. We almost have 4,000 that attend this conference. We've seen hundreds and thousands accept Jesus, but more importantly, go home with an alongsider. And I really appreciate Cana and the youth ministry and, and others that have been in youth ministry. The work you put into the youth is incredible. And, and having someone to go home with is very important. So I asked Chris, he was the director at that time, hey, if you ever need help with districts, I'd be glad to help. Six months later, he called me and said, would you be the director of districts? I'm like, what? I just wanted to help. And he said, but I'm, I'm stepping down. I'm going to be a multi-ethnic church planter in La Crosse. And I went, that's cool. So we prayed about it. We accepted. And so that was uh, in the year 2000 when we started directing districts. Let me do a comma for a minute. Is Melissa in the room here? I don't know if I see her right now. But um, it was interesting. We, her and I were talking this morning about when I was the year 2000, some of you may have heard, and I've come up and shared my testimony. I put a screwdriver in my eye in the year 2000. I was putting a net on my son's rim. And in the middle of that, trying to pry open uh, this net, um, the screwdriver slipped and went right into my left eye, lacerated my cornea, ripped out my iris. Sorry, some of you are getting queasy right now. Junior high boys think it's awesome. I don't, I don't have an iris in my eye anymore. And so God has used even that in my testimony and I always share that when I go to youth groups that choices have consequences. Every night before I go to bed, I've got to take this contact lens out that has an iris drawn on, and I have to uh, put it in a liquid for it to clean, and then I put it back in in the morning. If you want to see it later, I'll show it to you. So that was in the year 2000 also. So let me move forward. started directing districts, and the conference started to grow, and I was a youth pastor doing districts, and I couldn't do the two together anymore. It was just too much. And so finally what we ended up doing is 
is uh, the district said, let's hire somebody full-time to be a director of student and family ministries. And I thought that was great. Then I could just be a youth pastor. Well, that didn't work out very well either. Because um, every person I asked said, no, you're the guy. No, you're the guy. And after people start pointing to you enough, you look up to God and say, okay, I guess you have this plan. And so we threw our name in the hat. And then they said, oh, by the way, you get to raise support for this position too. And so after um, they had uh, raised funds for us for one year. And so I had a year to raise the support that was needed. And after uh, six months it was, I'd only raised 5%. I was like, boy, I'm not very good at this. God, if you don't come through and help us raise support for this, we're going to have to end and go back and do something else. If this is what you want, God. And so churches and youth pastors and people came alongside of us and praise the Lord because of churches like you and others, we now are able to minister to churches through the ministry of districts and all of that. So fast forward a little bit and move forward. In um, 2003 is when we uh, transitioned to the district office, director of student and family ministries. Last year, 2015, or 16, two years ago, I started feeling my age. I was 50 years old. I'm 53 today. And I realized, God, you was saying, maybe I'm getting older. Maybe I need to move into something else. So there's a guy named Don Price that was retiring, the church health director. And I thought, well, I should do that. So we threw our name in the hat to that. I, I mentored a young man to take over for me. And uh, things were going pretty well until, unfortunately, the guy that took my place, um, he had to step down for family purposes. And I can talk to you about that another time. But now I'm doing church health and student ministries. There's no way I can do both. And so our district superintendent said to me, hey, uh, we're going to hire somebody else for student ministries. And I said, wait a minute, can I go back and do that? Because that's what God has really called me to do. And so we did that, and, and Galen also added on, you can do district events for us. So I do a lot of pastor's conferences and districts. So that's where I am today. All this to say, the sovereignty of God at age four to where I am today, if God can use me in my mess, he can use each of you in what God has called each of you to do in your life. This morning, I want to transition to our message. I'm going to show a video in just a minute. The title of our, our sermon this morning is The Church Who Needs It? You showed up this morning, though, didn't you? The Church Who Needs It? And we'll answer that question a little bit later. Um, I want to show you a video of the beginning of the church. How did it get started? Let's watch the video. This is pretty interesting. We are here to, together, and we have a job to do. So this morning... Um, I want to talk, we're going to go back to the book of Acts. We're actually going to go to a passage that you guys looked at a couple of weeks ago. The book of Acts is this history of the birth, founding, and spread of the church from Jerusalem to Rome. It also chronicles the transition of church from being an exclusively Jewish institution into becoming a Gentile and international institution, spreading the gospel of salvation that's for all people. This morning I want to look at Acts 16. We're going to read it together. Uh, verses 16 to 34 in just a minute here. During Paul and Silas's second missionary journey, the Holy Spirit instructed them where to go from city to city. They were starting churches, and they were also encouraging churches. Paul picked up Timothy and mentored him. I love that example of who is it that we are in a relationship with that we care about making disciples with. They also spoke with a lady named Lydia. And Lydia, she came to Christ there and her entire family accepted Jesus. Let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 to 34. I would like us to read this together if we could on the screen here. Let's just read this together from 16 to 34. Once, 
we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to her, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and dragged them into the place to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack and Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's move to the next slide, if we can. It's coming. Is it going to come up, the next one? It will, huh? Computer glitch here. There we go. Thank you. All right, here we go. Continuing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, at once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Probably one of my favorite Bible stories, and sorry, this is your second run. How many of you were here on May 28th, a couple weeks ago? Okay, so this, for some of you, you're like, wow, we already did this passage. We're going to take a little bit of a different twist on this. So let me just walk through this real quick with you. Paul and Silas, they meet this demon-possessed girl. She's a slave girl. Her masters are using her to make lots of money as a fortune teller. Now, I'm not going to get into demon possession, but I will tell you that there are a lot of things going on in the spirit realm that we don't know about and don't understand. But I do believe in the power of prayer. I don't believe that you can be indwelt by a demon if you have Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life. You can be oppressed. So 
this girl, they were using her to make money. And we see that, that she was following these men, and it's very interesting what she says. These men are servants of the Most High God, which she knew was the way of salvation. Crazy that she would say that. I believe even the demons understand and know that. They know the power of God, but they know their days are numbered. So Paul, I love that he says he got annoyed, basically, in this passage, and he turns to her, and in the name of Jesus, he says, come out of her, and the demon's out. Guess what? No more fortune-telling, no more demon possession, and the masters, their sideshow was all done. So when you take money away from someone, their livelihood, guess what's going to happen? These men in verses 20 to 22, they make up false accusations, and they said that Paul and Silas were breaking Roman traditions. See, Philippi was a Roman colony, and they practiced Roman idolatry. But the real issue wasn't that they that this, it was that they had lost their income. So they, rise, they basically start a revolution there in the city, and they get people uh, to basically arrest them. Why? Because they were making up stories. And they throw them in prison after they flogged them. So now the story to me takes the turn that I want to talk about this morning, and that is the mission. So Paul and Silas are in prison. I'm imagining them being there in stocks, <laughs> grumbling, That's me. that would be my thought, complaining, whining, and going, oh God, why am I here? Blaming God for this. God, why did you let this happen to me? Think about how we are in our lives sometimes. Is that the way we respond to things that happen to us? Are we willing to trust God? You look in verse 25, and what, what does he say in verse 25? Let me just go there for a minute and read that again. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Would you and I do that in prison? Here's why I think they were doing this. They understood their mission. As Niall said a few weeks ago, they were delighting in the Lord, which is incredible. It's hard to delight in the Lord when things aren't going well. You ever been around somebody that's just, I mean, bitter Betty or, or bitter Ben, and they're just constantly bitter and unhappy, and, and they never look at things the right way. It's half empty and half, not half full of the cup. And we've all been around those people. Here's the test. Are we willing to trust God no matter what happens in our life? If cancer hits us tomorrow, are we okay with that? Because maybe God has a plan through us meeting somebody at the hospital. Or maybe someone in our family needs to know Jesus and they're watching us. Or maybe we lose a child. Or maybe uh, something happens to us where we just are struggling. I love what Paul and Silas do. They're praising and praying to God. Not frustrated. Why? Because they understood their mission. So here's the question. When we pray, do, your answers, do you get answers to prayer? Sometimes. Maybe it's not as quick as you want, but I believe that the churches that they'd been visiting with, and on top of it, in the prison, they were all praying, what's God going to do? And guess what happens? The earthquake takes place. The doors get opened. And now we see an interesting thing. The jailer wakes up, and what does he do? He's ready to kill himself. Why? Because he knows that if the prisoners get away, they will kill him. That's how they handle things. Did you notice the response 
of what happens in verse 27. Let's read that together. It says, The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Love the next verse, but Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. What? If you and I are Paul, we're out of here. The earthquake happens, the doors are open, gangway, I'm out of here. Why didn't they leave? Because they understood the mission. What was the mission? The jailer. And even the testimony of those that were all there yet. So, verse 29, the jailer calls for lights. He rushes in. He fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and he asked this question. Again, I'm like going, wow, this story. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I don't get that. Why would he say that to them? I believe because they watched the mission that they were on and they got it. And he started to understand that they were delighting himself, like Niall said, in the Lord, but also they understood their mission. Let me just stop for a minute. Look at the journey you're on right now. Where you live. What your house is like. What position maybe you have as a job. Your influence. We're going to walk through the mission of the church in just a minute. But I want to challenge you. Have you got it? What's the mission for you? And the church. We're going to talk about that. But what is God having you doing for your mission in the sphere of influence you're in? So verses uh, after this, if you see, it says, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved, and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord, and at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house, set a meal before him. He was he had come to believe in God and his whole family. Man, mission accomplished. Wow. That's incredible when you think about it. I want to transition a little bit from this idea of the sovereignty of God that we trust in him to what is the mission of the church? Why do we exist as a church? We were talking a little bit about worship. And by the way, that was awesome to hear. Why do we worship? What does that look like when we worship God together? To have an idea of why we do that together. So what is the mission of the church? So here's the seven most common answers that I've heard in my 14, almost 14 years. Here's what I hear. To meet my needs, to make me feel good, to entertain me and not bore me, to be in a place that's comfortable for me. My parents make me go. I've heard that. I feel guilty if I don't go. If I go, I have a better chance of going to heaven. I've heard all those things. Not true, those are not true. Let's look at a couple of surveys that I think are interesting. The first one is from Gallup. A Gallup poll said this, the top seven reasons why people attend church. Spiritual growth and guidance keeps me grounded and guided. It's my faith to worship God, the fellowship of other members, believe in God, religion. I was brought up this way, tradition. Let's go to one more survey. Why do unchurched people choose a church. Tom Rayner from Lifeway Resources. He says it's a lot about pastoring and preaching, the doctrines, the friendliness of members, other issues. Someone at church witnessed to me, a family member. I sense God's presence, atmosphere of the church, relationship other than a family member, Sunday school class, children's and youth group, love that. Other groups, ministries, worship style, music. It's interesting. That is a huge deal, worship wars. I see it all over the district. I want to be traditional. I want to be contemporary. I love how you laid it out, Eric, this morning. That was awesome to see. We're here together to worship God and keep the main thing the main thing. And then lastly, location for some. 
So let me transition to what is the true mission of the church. When you look at the business world, and we're, we're not a business, okay? Um, I worked in the business world for 15 years. So just like the church has a mission, the mission explains why the organization exists. And it communicates what they do, how and why they do it, and where they do it. So let me talk about two uh, uh, organizations. The Walt Disney Company. You know what their mission statement is? Walt Disney Company exists to be one of the world's leading producers and providers of entertainment and information. Well, you know why they exist. Entertainment and information. The Red Cross, the American Red Cross. It's a humanitarian organization that exists to provide relief to victims of disaster and help people prevent, prepare for, and respond to emergencies. You catch the last part? World's, so they are relief to victims of disaster to help prevent, prepare for, and respond to emergencies. Clear mission for them. So the church isn't a business. We talked about that. The church is unique. It's commissioned by Jesus and by God and sent into the world on mission. Do you know what your mission is? It's on your bulletin. Did you know that? Here's the uh, mission of Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Let's read this together. We exist to connect people with God through Jesus Christ, grow to be like Christ, and to serve others. That's the mission. So in your bulletin, I've got a fill-in-the-blank exercise. If you like to fill in the blanks, this is your time right now. Because some of you like to do that. So... Why I'm going to close in these last five minutes with why do we truly exist as a church? We've talked about this for a little bit. So here in my mind, first of all, I should say, how do you and I, when we think of the mission of the church, how would we um, measure success is the word I would use. So I think there are six areas that I have found that I think are very, very important uh, that we need to be about as a, what, what a mission looks like. The first one is to glorify God. And that is 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Love that. Glorify God. Number two, to worship God. Psalm 122, verse 1 says, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. We exist to passionately celebrate the Lord. We did it with communion. To remember. This isn't for us to come and dump our loads here. That's what a lot of people think church is. I'll come get rid of all my guilt. Jesus forgives. The, the church is a place of grace. But you know what it truly is? We are here to worship the Almighty God and, his, uh, and how He has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. So glorify God and worship God. Number three, this one is really important. Fellowship and community with other believers. 1 John 3.18 says, We show love through our actions. And you know the best form of love, best expression of love, you know what it is? Time. We spend time together. Um, about twice a month, I'm in what I call in our church, I'm at Highland Community Church in Wausau, we do what we call community groups. Or they are care groups or life groups. Do you guys have those here at all? Yes, I see some nodding. If all you are coming to is Sunday morning, one hour, you're missing it out. I want to encourage you to go to the next step and get into one of those groups. Here's why. For me, if I come here, this is great on Sunday morning, but we need more fellowship and community. We need to pray for each other. We need to be involved in each other's lives for prayer. 
So I would encourage you to find a group that you can be in where you can have fellowship and love each other beyond Sunday mornings. Number four, this is probably one of the hardest areas in the church in terms of mission, disciple-making. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 says, we should make mature and multiply uh, disciples. It says, go and make disciples, it says. It doesn't say in that passage, go and make converts. It says, go and make disciples. You know what a disciple is? A disciple is one who follows Jesus. All right, so here's the exercise I want you to think about for just maybe 15 seconds right now. Who are your three? Think about three names in your life right now that you are discipling. Okay, we're going to get a mic and come around and ask each other. I'm just kidding. Got you worried though, didn't I? That's a hard exercise because you know why? Life can be about me a lot of times. I'm not worried about anyone else. Maybe you are, but what does it mean? It means going to coffee with somebody. It means being involved in somebody else's life. Disciple making. And then it's asking them who are their three. So there's your assignment right now is to think about three people that you currently have in your life. good strategy to start with is your neighbors, if you don't know them. Another strategy is people that you work with. Another strategy might be something that you like to do for a hobby. And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Number five, our strategy about mission, evangelism. Matthew 9, verses 37 and 38 says, The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. I believe the key is sharing the gospel. So, how do you and I engage with our neighbors in the community? So people ask me all the time, what do you do for a job? I hate telling them I'm a pastor. It just kills conversation right away, let me tell you. So I tell people now, I help people prepare for the next life. That's what I tell them. And they're really bewildered. Oh, are you a funeral director? Are you an undertaker? Life insurance salesman? I've heard that, you know. And then I tell them I'm a pastor, and I say, tell me about your faith. And it just opens up an opportunity to talk with them about where they are. I love that. Another uh, way that I have personally um, looked at engaging in the community, and I'm doing this with pastors all around the district. I'm asking them, what do you do to engage in your community? Bob, he's in a church in the southern part of the state. He's now bus driver Bob. Bob loves, at 2.30 in the afternoon, he goes and drives school bus. They didn't know he was Pastor Bob until about six months in, and then the kids started loving Pastor Bob and the families wanted him to pray for them on the bus when they get off. I love that. My, one of my strategies is refereeing sports. I've gotten to referee three lakes. I've done basketball. I've done boys and girls basketball. I do boys and girls soccer. I also do girls fast pitch softball, and I used to do baseball. Now somebody will say to you, man, that's not very affirming officiating sports. You get hollered at. I go, yep, I do. But I love it because of the relationships. When a kid says, Awesome, we got the cool ref today. That's what I love to hear. And when kids know that I have more fun in that whole thing. One more strategy that I have. It's old man softball that I play. So there's an over 45 league in Wassa. My fifth grade teacher, he's 74, Fred. Fred's on my team. Fred's our catcher and he plays first sometimes. Love it. When I first started playing for those guys, I realized I didn't have time for this. So I said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And God convicted me and he said, no, 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 no. You need to be here because they need you and they need Jesus. So I started playing ball, and afterwards, Dupes was having heart surgery. I said, hey, let's pray for Dupes around the mound after the softball game. So we prayed. Now Dupes, I'm not sure he's a Christian yet, but he grabs the other team and says, come on, we're having prayer time. 
and we pray around the mound. I can't believe the opportunities I'm now having to spend time with these guys in their life when they're going through struggles. Let's go to the last thing, a serve. Matthew 20, verses 27 and 28, we exist to serve others by demonstrating God's love. It's not an option. The Messiah did not come to be served, but to serve. All right, let's close with this. So the church is not a building. It's not the temple. It's not the locale. The church is all of us who have chosen to follow Christ. So we started off with the church who needs it. Here's what I want to say. We all need it. Will you stand with me? And I'm going to invite the worship team up. We are going to read a congregational response that I love, that I believe unifies us in what God has called us to do. Will you read this with me? The congregational response. We are one in Christ. We recognize that this one fact outweighs all of our differences and that there is nothing in this world that is stronger than the love of Christ which unites us. By God's grace, we now pledge that we will live united in His love toward one another, affirming one another and praying for one another as a community of redeemed people. May God give us the humility to consider one another's needs before our own. One more slide. To accept one another without qualification and to look past each other's weaknesses, knowing that we all stumble in many ways and may He grant us the capacity to identify the talents and abilities He's given us, as well as the willingness to apply them so that the body of Christ may be built up and that we may work together for the glory of God until Jesus comes or calls us home. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a joy to know that the mission of the church, Lord, is for us to think through these things that we've talked about, glorifying you and worshiping you, and to, and, and to be together and to evangelize and to serve and to love others. God, thank you for Niall, Philial and his family. I thank you for the elders here at this church and the deacons and many others that serve this church and this community. I pray that this church would have an incredible, incredible effect on this whole town and the community and the county. Lord, that many would come to know you as their Savior. Thank you for this morning that we could be here on mission, loving you and wanting to serve you. We lift this time up to you right now, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.